Hey, this is Higher Peaks. This podcast is supported by our listeners on Patreon. There you can become a patron with options of bonus content, including behind-the-scenes posts, messages, pics, shorts, raw unedited content, and even full episodes. You can influence future shows, have voting power, get exclusive rewards, and have patron-only giveaways. See full details on our page at patreon.com slash organrooted. Enjoy the show. Uh, plant medicine specifically has to be a part of that resilience that you bake into your your whole holistic farm plan. So, uh, you know, on our farm, which is called New Family Farm, uh, we've got medicinal herbs, we got organic vegetables, and we also have cannabis. Um, and, uh, you know, we used to raise animals, but I, I decided I was more of a plant guy. And yeah, that that connection with the with the actual reality of the earth living outside and and working with the elements is something that's deeply important to us here. Welcome to Oregon Rooted. I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. You're listening to The Dirt Show. Where we bring you Oregon's cannabis culture. Welcome to the Dirt Show. I'm Higher Peaks, and this is Lady Sativa. How's everybody doing out there? It's been nice weather lately, and we finally cleared up. Well, it's been mild. I mean, right now it's perfect growing weather. Mm-hmm. So, and I spoke to you soon last time that uh, you know I didn't see any caterpillars. Uh, little fuckers. my god! You know, right when I said that, and I shouldn't you have shouldn't said have it. said it because this is like, the year of not saying anything because it will fucking manifest. <laughs> The universe is listening. Yet always to this year, like especially right now. Don't say anything because it's full moon out there too. Yeah. So well, fuck it all. <laughs> and that's the thing is, uh, you know, like the very next morning after we recorded, I went out there and looking, and there's this freaking mold spot. And I'm like, when I see mold, I am not worried about botrytis, as in just mold from moisture from the air, you know, or no, bad it hasn't circulation. Been that moist. <laughs> So when I see that, I'm just, I freak out because I know it's a caterpillar and I know that once you see that damage from the mold starting, then you're way too far into like, there's going to be more damage showing up yes. even if you spray. And so it's really important. And I've actually had a couple people ask me, I, you know, I guess more, you know, people that haven't grown too long, but they're, they're no, I mean, they got hit this year. You know, I got a couple messages on G, I IG and they're like, people that did. yeah. And they're like, Hey, you know, I, I've got this mold on, you know, it's, you know, even we've got some seeds out there too. You know, it's got this mold on, on some of your strains. And I'm like, well, pull that bud apart, you know, peel it back. And if you see some black spots and it, you've got caterpillars and uh, lo and behold, that's what it was. And it had went through the garden and, you know, people have lost quite a bit. And it's like, you have to, especially in this region, Pacific Northwest, I would say the two things at this point in time are really aphids and caterpillars. I do got to say, have we ever once had a problem with actual mold that was not caterpillars? Um, no, well, 
I don't know if we ever have. I, I yeah, I do. I we have now in previous years, especially like four or five, six years ago, when okay, we first started it's growing been here. So long ago, I don't remember. Well, <laughs> there was one year we. I think was it the Master Kush. We did all one oh, strain. Right. We did all one strain, and it went and went and went. It was mid fucking november before we pulled those plants it was the longest season we've been through and we went through we did have the greenhouse structure Mm -hmm. but uh you know it it went through so much moisture and so much rain that year that just from like mid-october through mid-november it got really moist that we did we had some legitimate botrytis in there and you know that stuff usually will it seems to me can sneak up even worse and cause bigger problems. Like when you catch it, it's like big spots. Whereas yeah. like if you really, I look at my plants every day, every, every morning, morning, every morning I, I go out there. I avoid it right now because of where I'm working, but. Right, right, right. I get that. Um, but, you know, I go out there every morning and I, I'm checking them real close and I'll spot that mold spot real soon. But even then you peel that back and the whole just inside. Is, mm. So you have to cut all that out. So I did see a few spots, um, nonetheless, as you know, I'm getting to that. <laughs> so I spoke too soon. Uh, we did treat with BT. I told, you know, I said we had treated with BT early. And the, I think the problem with that was, is that was like a two-year-old bottle. Well, and, and so I'm wondering if it was even. You did take a two-week break, like during the whole fires and yes. me being home and my mm-hmm fucking depression that i was in you didn't get around to the plant so much because you right. were coddling me so there's two <laughs> there was two weeks which did you know i'm telling you and, and here's the deal i had been on it weekly since day one mm-hmm. and everything's looked fine i go two weeks two weeks that's it and boom got aphid pressure and of course the cats came now i I didn't spray enough with the BT for one. And two, like I said, I think it was an old bottle and I'm not really sure that's bacteria. It's Bacillus thuringiensis and it's a strain of it. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm sure you can do stuff like too much heat, too much cold mm-hmm. that can make that render useless. So I'm wondering if that's what it was. We did get a fresh bottle. I did spray. But again, here's the deal. Once you see that first mold spot, there's going to be more coming because there's other caterpillars that are there. If there's one, there's five mm-hmm. and they've been chilling the same amount of time too. And in fact, the other day I saw one was literally hanging by its silk on the plant. And I'm like, it was only a tiny, tiny thing, but that's the thing is they grow quick. So they go from barely visible to freaking munch circle, shit and eat and circle and shit and eat and then sleep and then circle and then shit and eat. Well, right. And remember <laughs> that they are just like us. They are going to pick the highest mansion in the fucking sky with the views of the whole <laughs> The whole city, right? And so, in other words, to us, the fucking largest bud that we have on the plant. Anybody's largest bud. Like you get caterpillars and you pick your best bud, and I'm sure they'll try to camp out in it. Oh, I'm not saying just us. I'm saying that's that's honestly what Mm -hmm. it is. But to us, as meaning, yeah, like comparably plants to houses, it's it's the fucking largest bud of ours. (laughs) Is is what they're going for? Sure. And so we've got their mansion in this guy. Yeah, and it's it's heartbreaking because. If you lose a few lowers, eh, big deal. But they don't want that. They don't want the lower, you that's know, why they've the lower to the floor. <laughs> Do you think it's because that's where the bugs get dropped? Like that's where the moths. I just, them? I just honestly think it's, it's literally like that. I think it's the best spot for them. The, the thicker the bud, the where they can hide out and shit everywhere and have like a three room condo mm-hmm. versus a little one bedroom apartment. 
So be aware that people, we use BT obviously unsuccessfully this year, but I don't know how, I mean, it, it, I I, I must say that I think that we wouldn't have had as bad of an issue with aphids if we wouldn't have had that fire because we had them a lot sooner last year. We did. A lot sooner than we did this year. Like it is the end of the season and we do not have them nearly as bad as last year. No, and they're they're not out of control. It's not so anything like last I year. I honestly don't wanna... think that we probably would not have got them if they would have ran out of food where they did. Yeah. Their food was literally getting burned and they were escaping. I, I agree. Yeah, and sure. so where does that push them? Well, to where there's no fire. Fires, yeah. And it, that brings them to us. And that could be. Um, I, I do know that they're not an, out of control and they're not affecting our plants at all in terms of like even like they haven't even gotten to the point where they've even done the first spreading of their uh, little body things that mm -hmm. leave that white shit. They haven't even got that far. It just I saw little spots in in places. So I'm like, like I check them every day and that's why you check them every day because when you catch something, you're going to hopefully catch it soon enough. And we did, it's fine. Sprayed water away and um, you know, we're good to go. And this again, meaning not like just yesterday, I'm talking, we sprayed like this has been a week plus ago. Uh, we decided last Sunday. And of course I only sprayed the plants that we weren't going to be harvesting right away. So, um, but we, that's one thing. Well, though. we did make the, we did make the call that we were going to wait for another two weeks for that wedding cake and two, decided to spray it. Yeah. Uh, so Mammoth P recommends two to three weeks before harvest. And we don't plan on taking it until after this next Sunday. Yeah, so it'll exactly. be Monday. So that'll be two weeks, but a little tight on that one. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's we'll see. It's be, a good test. It's going to be a little tight, but you know what? We, we have to do it. In order to I'm not doing the aphids. The I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm not doing aphids. And if I have to switch to green cleaner or something like that, that, they quote unquote can go to harvest or whatever. So be it. But I'm not having the plants ruined by aphid. It is not worth it to me. I guess my health is worth it. <laughs> I don't know. We've smoked worse. I, I probably smoked worse over the years. Uh, yeah. You smoked the, the brown frown. Yeah. Okay. The 90s. You solidly smoked the brown frown for a few decades. So <laughs> with that said, I hope everybody else's IPM went well. We're at the end of the year anyway. Even if I stopped everything now, which I pretty much have. I mean, that there's nothing going to happen from now. Um, it's, it is what it is, but I, there's not enough time, especially as the weather gets colder, you know, and in October, I hope we get colder. The thing is, we got two weeks here that looks good. So. No, that's good. It's good for growth. Yeah, it's good for growth, but it's fucking Halloween. <laughs> it's supposed to be chilly. Where is my able to wear, wear a, sweatshirt. a sweater, not inside underneath an air conditioning? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I like to build a fire out back too burn off some of that old wood <laughs> well it's just too hot so we're still like in the mid 80s so well we don't want to risk any fires right now. you know everybody's like trying to say tonight's the full moon so everybody's like ah oh, just chop tonight put out some crystals chop tonight fuck off my crystals are on the front porch <laughs> as soon as i start asking people i'm like well i got a plan or two you know i can chop to you know tonight and did you know that there is two full moons this month We'll see. I can do one I can, tonight and one can, on the 31st. I can perhaps tonight. So we got 30 days and we got another one. Yeah, I don't want to wait that long. So, but as soon as I made a big deal about chopping up on, you know, a full moon, everybody's like, no, don't do it. If you have a sativa weight or if you have this weight or do that. And just got more confused. You're like, you know what? I'm just going to chop when I feel like I it. just, <laughs> I'm going to make my own call. I don't need none of this hippy dippy shit. <laughs> the other thing too is I almost have to have like a some sort of like uh, what do you call it some sort of ceremony because I feel so freaking bad when I start chopping them. Like I can almost hear like 
been with you for eight months. It's okay. We'll give him some of my hippy dippy crystals. I don't know. I feel Burn bad. some belladonna for him. But I don't feel bad after it's cured. I don't feel bad because I know that I won't have to. Everything is on point back there. I'm so happy this year because we got your Skittles. We got our crosses and our crosses smell wise are coming out fine. Oh, yeah. Lots of gas, lots of cushion there. So I like it. We got a lot of good ones back there. I do like it. And then the ones from um, Bigfoot clones. Oh, yeah. Those are so good. I'll tell you what, though. There's one back there. Mimosa. I think that that probably got the fids first. Uh, and that was one of the Bigfoot clones. Um, it just it's. Is it one of the two that's unmarked? I think so. But they just apparently like it more because I, I found like five, six, seven on there. And it's like, oh. Well, there's the Chili Verde that was unmarked and one other one that was unmarked. Anyway, so. The skunk, the lemon skunk. I don't know about that one, if it's going to get hit hard or not. We'll see. But it's pretty far along. It doesn't, it maybe has one week left. So yeah. We'll be harvesting all that soon. All right, so let's move on. I know you have something good to talk about there. So the Psychedelics Reform Group Decriminalized Nature released a 123-page guidebook for how to enact local laws lessening the decriminalization of entheogens. Entheogens, yeah. Ha. It includes model legislation, press release templates, and sample educational emails to send to lawmakers. Decrim's like, nah, you know, we, we want to uh, teach everybody else how to do this too. I honestly think it's because how many people want to help and so they're probably making it available to more for more people to go out there and do more networking for them yeah well, i for think sure. they just need more people and more signatures and there's not enough of them yeah but this is like full guidebook and stuff like this is like model legislation yeah they really really want i think that's like making your own groups out of there and the thing is with decrim nature they are not centralized as like when we tried to contact him, there was no real person in charge. Mm -mm. <laughs> so I you know, think we had just, one down here too. Yeah, they're, the they're groups, but Ashland. even in the groups, they're just there's no hierarchy. So yeah. which is cool. I just and I think that's what this is probably is so you can start your own. Mm -hmm. What are they called? Um, chapter. Your Maybe, own chapter, chapter in sure. your area to help with getting more legislation signed to get it on the ballot. Yeah, they're kicking ass, though. They are kicking ass. Along with that, I'm just going to jump right down to this. I was going to wait, but I'll just jump to it. But uh, uh, David Bronner, you know, he was a huge supporter initially. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to go into the whole article, but David Bronner has now published a post explaining a decision to no longer financially support decrim nature. That's on a national level, keep in mind. And I think there's some sort of issue with the national leadership is what he put in his post. And I think just, it's getting too close to probably pol political shit. And no, so. I don't think they're they're not running shit right. Okay. And he doesn't like it. And so oh. he's not going to fund something he doesn't believe is being run properly. Oh. On a national level, he's still going to fund regional stuff. Oh, okay. But in the article, it was not clear if he was still funding Portland because I know he had a part of that because Bronner's is out of Portland. But right. I don't, it's not clear if he's supporting. I would imagine he's still supporting it because that is just a little regional, uh, mm -hmm. actually city thing, citywide thing. Right. So, but it wasn't clear, but I just had to add that in. I just skipped to it. So. <laughs> but it's sad. I mean, you know, I, I hate to see business get in front of a good cause. Right. But apparently it's big enough that he doesn't want to dump a bunch of money to decrim on a national level. Yeah. He probably doesn't know who's leading. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> He doesn't know who to, uh, to that's contact. That's what I mean. There's, 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 no one's in charge. 
So I, 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 I don't know. Um, a review on studies, the impact drug of decriminalization policies found that the legal reform was most often not associated with changes in use. This is kind of important real quick. I want to be clear. So it's saying that legal reform, like states that have, you know, reform policies, was most often not associated with changes in use. So it's basically the article says that its findings, which was over like 4,600 peer-reviewed articles, scientific peer-reviewed articles that were published, they reviewed them all and they saw that with the numbers worked that basically there was no significant change in use up or down Mm -hmm. from a legal state versus an illegal state, which I think is important because there's another article below. Do you want to do it? Prohibitionist organization Smart Approaches to Marijuana released a report purporting to show that legalization has not gone well in states that have enacted it. So with this one, this is really funny. So this is a flip side of <laughs> this is in, the opposite. Well, and what and it's actually like this uh, info. What do they call them? Infograms or something? I don't. I don't know what the proper word is. But WikiLeaks. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's like a one-page PowerPoint of these charts, and he worked uh, hard on that PowerPoint. I don't know who did. Um, it's pretty, but <laughs> what it says is that basically this got these stats. One of them that stood out to me was it showed that in Colorado, that fatal traffic accidents uh, in whatever year they were doing um, was showed that basically there was an increase, a percentage increase. Well, I don't it was like 10%. There was a window that it was in where uh, the fatalities had an increase of people that were tested for cannabis in their system and found to be positive. Now, the thing about that is everybody knows that it can be in your system for up to a month. So just with that test, just them cherry picking you know, saying they found cannabis in the system really doesn't correlate. They're trying to stick it on cannabis in any shape, way, or form. Well, so it doesn't correlate to anything that is real legitimate because Mm -hmm. someone could have smoked a week ago, they get in a traffic accident, kill somebody, and they say there's cannabis in their system, which, again, wouldn't affect that driving. So I don't see how that holds up. And then on the flip side, this... This other study that we just talked about, legal reform was most often not associated with changes in use. There's a flip side. Well, if it didn't change, if people's use didn't really change, then the numbers really shouldn't be affected either in terms of fatal traffic accidents versus, you know, a person being found with cannabis in their system. So, well, just like when they do traffic stops and they, they, find them intoxicated they test them for it and it's like if cannabis is in the system they put cannabis and other illegal drugs i feel like it's a covid thing like you it's like what the fuck you you're on a substance like say alcohol that actually did the impairment but they find cannabis in your system so that's the default that's That's why the default it's a covid thing (laughs) oh he had major heart problems but he got covid so he died from covid he had pneumonia but that doesn't matter he died from covid so same with the cannabis, you know, uh, you know, he got in a car wreck and he had alcohol in his system, but it was he, the cannabis. The cannabis is what caused the wreck. It was all the cannabis. So. That's always been bullshit to me. I was just I remember when it was the first year they said that the death rates have gone up for cannabis. And it's like people check your facts on it. Of course, you're going to go and take that and run with it because the newspaper put it out. But they don't they're they're bullshitting you to try and get you all against it too yeah and it's scary to think that you can take legitimate peer-reviewed published articles and kind of still favor them for your side yeah because they're kind of both doing it i mean th- this 
they even admit they're a, a prohibitionist mm-hmm. group or whatever. Yeah. So you know they're going to cherry pick through the information, just mm-hmm. like on a flip side. And so that's kind of scary. Everybody kind of like, well, you know, it was it was a legitimate study with peer reviewed research and da da da. And it's like, well, you can still cherry pick through that stuff. Yeah, you can choose the facts that you want to listen to. <laughs> scary. <laughs> I did want to mention real quick internationally because, you know, we got our Australian listeners, right? Mm-hmm. So you guys are uh, in the international news, at least on our end, uh, talking about a fresh push to decriminalize cannabis in New South Wales. Nice. As one MP argues, it's no more addictive than tobacco or booze. <laughs> uh, that's for call sure. It booze and not alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what they call it in uh, Australia? Uh, if they do more power to you, that's awesome. <laughs> it's really, I have to read just a portion of this article because it's really interesting when it comes to uh, how they finish. And it says, calls for cannabis to be criminal, decriminalized are growing with one MP saying the drug is no more addictive than booze or tobacco. New South Wales Labor MP Rose Jackson told Parliament on September 23rd, legalizing the drug would be economically sensible. I'm telling you what. She's talking the truth. Yes, she is speaking truth. We rock the money here. Okay. So she, this is the best part. She, she argued that the state should follow in the steps of Joe Biden in the U S contradicting opposition leader, Jody McKay says over 33 countries have decriminalized or legalized cannabis. And if Joe Biden wins the U S election, all of America will have decriminalized cannabis. She told daily mail, Australia. So she made it sound, that's a quote too. It made it sound like, man, we elect Joe Biden. Shit's going federally legal. Yeah. <laughs> now, you Australians, I really highly doubt that. I do too. Just it's saying. It's going to take a whole It's going to take a whole lot more than Joe Biden. More than Joe Biden. It's, we've been trying at this for fucking decades. Now, had Trump w- supported cannabis, I bet you he could have pushed it through. <laughs> I'm just joking. Yeah, and let's see how that wall's doing. Yeah, that's a, right. So we weren't going to talk politics. I know. Exactly. But I had to say that. I just think it's funny that she thinks that if we elect Joe Biden, that all federal is going to drop. <laughs> it's Guys, don't get your hopes up. We we will. We'll hope for that. But, but I think maybe our children's children. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. It is on the horizon. I just don't think it's quite just by electing Joe Biden. No, no. <laughs> I got one more. Good says a new documentary shows how former basketball player Lamar Odom therapeutically used psychedelics. We keep hearing these stories. Mm-hmm. And th- this sounds like it was something he did personally. Yeah, I wonder if it was um, I wonder if it was macrodosing or microdosing. Lamar Odom almost died in October 2050 after over- overdosing at a brothel outside Las Vegas. The now 40-year-old NBA uh, NBA star Suffered 12 seizures, six strokes, and his heart stopped twice. He was placed on life support after reg- or before regaining consciousness. His recovery has been long and steady. After the years, and Odom, after the years, and Odom is currently working on his addiction issues and opening up about some devastating trauma in his life. In an upcoming documentary, Lamar Odom Reborn. You're yeah. definitely going to give it a watch, especially it has to do with psychedelics. Uh. In the upcoming film, the former basketball pro works with director Mike Zappi Zappelin, who gave Odom a psychedelic intervention that involved the drugs ketamine and obogaine. Ibogaine. Sorry, I read it and I even read it wrong. Uh, Zappi, who does not have a medical background, told Fox News, I would say to critics that the traditional medicines have a place, but right now 
but right now, but we have millions of people in the country suffering from addiction to depression or PTSD. I'm sorry, guys, that uh, this is not me. This is actually the article. It's just basically he was doing it for because he almost died. Mm. Did you did you catch and catch how many freaking seizures he had? Mm-hmm. God, that's sad. Twelve seizures, six strokes, and his heart stopped twice. Right. Because of a drug addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe lucky he's alive. He is very lucky he's alive, and that's very awesome that he's actually deciding to take care of his addiction rather than ignore it and depression and die like a lot of other people that we've Yeah, seen. and I since we're on this kind of direction, um, I just want to let people know too that like it's you know when you do psychedelics multiple times it doesn't matter if it's like a month or two months out or whatever you're doing at the time maybe once a weekend for three weekends or something i don't know whatever the schedule is for you at the time it's really crazy i've noticed our journey has been weird with it where i guess what i'm saying is like it's different every time it is different every time i i often i think in my immature brain you know and I, I shouldn't say it that way in my un uh my inexperienced brain on psychedelics i thought it was always going to be like the same experience. i knew it was and, and i've always heard it yeah because mushrooms weren't different. either yeah, yeah mushrooms weren't either so i should have assumed that it wouldn't be but you know every stinking time it's different um similar things but it's different i really enjoyed last time that was fun yeah, well, I really enjoyed the coast trip. That was my favorite. Yes. Yeah, that was my favorite, which is really weird. I don't the coast trip, and actually the first time when we were when you were building the rock tower on my leg, that one was pretty yeah. fun too. But the coast trip was by far one of my favorites. Yeah, and this yeah. last time it was just we we did a hit and a half this time, mm-hmm. slowly raising the bar. Um, and boy, it's like that first couple hours, you know, there's a hump to get over. There's like this real intense hump, like yep. you. The first two or three hours, you're just like, whoa, whoa, and you're sweating and you're you're just like, ah, you know, you've, I even got to the point where I was nauseated because everything was kind of moving so that much. Was that was when we started to peak. Yeah, I was peaking and everything was moving. And I'm like, it, it wasn't overwhelming. It was just overwhelming in the sense like it was almost like a car sick feeling. Where you just had to sit down. Yeah. Or I, but I had to like, I just, I was feeling it in my stomach. But I'm we like, were whoa. walking a lot. Yeah. So be, you know, if you're doing those kind of things, be careful. Here's my best piece of advice, and this is pretty much across the board with most psychoactives or psychedelics, even is just eat and drink before you do it. Mm-hmm. Drink well, eat well. It'll, I made the mistake of not drinking more water than I should have that time. It happens. It, just, it didn't taste good. It, that's the thing. You got to do it beforehand. Well, and you got to kind of force yourself. Well, you kind of want to do it before because the fact it does dry you out. But that's what I'm saying. You want to like get edibles. You want to get full on food, and you want to get hydrated. And yeah. you still want to drink and all that during, but you kind of got to force yourself. You yeah. got to get, you got to get yourself boosted up with some food and some good water mm-hmm. so that you, when you do slack during the trip, you, you don't, cause there was one time that we hadn't eaten and drank all day and the whole trip. And it would just made me feel like shit. That was our coast trip. At the end, it made me feel like shit. It yeah. was horrible. And no, it was actually the day that we went to the river for me. Oh, okay. That wasn't the coast we trip. Were just, we ate a lot at the coast trip. We snacked the whole time. We were just snacking up there but at small The things. river trip, no. We ate like one piece of jerky and yeah. one piece of cheese. Yeah, and we were like just three sips of minor, water. minor to snacking. So, and we were in water. Eat and drink it, with anything. Anything yeah. you do, like just eat and drink first. That way, if you don't do as much as you should during, you're going to be better off. Mm-hmm. This last time was fun, though. I enjoyed when we were sitting up... Uh, Right by the fountain. 
and looking down and it was it was seriously we were on top of the world yeah i feel like once we really get, weren't there was mountains all around us but yeah. it it felt like we were at the top of the park how about that i really think that uh like once you get past that hump it's i don't know if that's what people refer to as afterglow mm -hmm. but like once you get past that real intense peak then everything is so fun after that like everything gets you still have all the visuals you still have the body eye but it's not like it's just much more fun after that see i can't say that i had a bad trip it wasn't bad at all but seeing sean was really hard for me that was weird seeing somebody and that... then driving back home through all the destruction and then driving back home through the destruction yeah of the city mm -hmm. well that's not my fault it just brought back too many emotions type thing all at the same time that is the first time though i've ever really been like that i don't think i think it's because i hadn't faced everything really emotionally until i had opened up like that mm -hmm. sometimes people will label that the the bad trip but that's the, I think the it corner was trip kind of healing <laughs> at the same time though because i've gone i i was ex i was kind of expecting it but trying to avoid it at the same time but i've done mushrooms enough with you that i know that those are the most cleansing trips as it comes down to it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with that said oregon psilocybin initiative gets boost from a new tv ad but draws opposition from unlikely source an oregon ballot initiative to legalize psilocybin for therapeutic purposes is getting a boost from a nonprofit veterans group new tv ad meanwhile the campaign is seeing pushback from an unexpected source the Heroic Hearts Project, which helps connect veterans to entheogenic-based healing and provides complimentary counseling, is airing an advertisement in the state that highlights the therapeutic potential of taking psilocybin in a psilocybin of taking psilocybin in a clinical setting. All right, let's take a listen to the 30-second video. As a scientist, I'm impressed by the research. Major universities' findings show psilocybin therapy can be effective for depression and anxiety. It's plant medicine the FDA calls breakthrough therapy meaning it can be an improvement over available options. A psilocybin therapy program, research-based with patient safety top of mind, strictly regulated. We're in a mental health crisis. The science is real, the restrictions smart. Psilocybin therapy, healing, providing hope. That's crazy, that's pretty good. <laughs> I like it. Uh, and it just, it just goes on to say that uh, it's a plant medicine, uh, the FDA is calling it a breakthrough therapy, potentially, um, better than other available options. Um, I don't know. It, it, <laughs> it seems like a lot of times, like what happened with you is you're forced to just deal with shit anyway. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it works. I know every time I do it, I get less and less interested in other things that are bad for me, <laughs> like alcohol. As long as you enjoy it and not become crazy ass psychonaut. Uh, yeah, we know some so people would, like that. Uh, we watched. There's, there's. Um, oh, it was that movie that we watched last night, Creep Two. Yeah. Where she went to the one guy's house that he's constantly on acid and had like he was just <laughs> just gone. Over here, I'm going to make these, and he was just constantly high on acid because he was always microdosing. Yeah, I don't know if that's I like being high, but uh, I don't know either. But it's like if that makes you fucking that quirky, or I you're think just you can take enough acid that you can be constantly just goofy up like that. Um, I think that there's a couple ways you can go. I think you can get screwed up, 
like psychosis, but you can also get this ego trip too. We've known a couple people that start thinking they know shit that no one else knows. And, you know, it's like the trip never, they never came back from it. Like, yeah, I know when I go there, I figure out the secrets of the universe. But when I come like, back, I leave it there. I leave it there, right? Some people don't leave it there. It's like what happens in <laughs> Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in your psycho knot head stays there. <laughs> uh, along with, you know, John Hopkins, uh, Berkeley, a new psychedelics research and education center launched at UC Berkeley. Uh, kind of in support of the reform movements so that's cool yeah. so you see berkeley and john hopkins are jumping on it uh and i just wanted to you know i had to add this uh, to finish off with uh and i just you know shit organ marijuana sales spike could continue as consumers permanently adjust their behavior following covid <laughs> we ain't going back bitches and here's the funny thing is the dispensaries probably aren't going back to that low fucking priced flower either. So no, everybody that the chews out your fucking bud tender for high priced suck a fat one because you know what? That's what's going on. That's what is supposed to happen is shit supposed to rise when there's more of a demand. <laughs> well, it's, it's going to happen. We had fires and you know, go I, look at the price of your toilet paper. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's with the, with cannabis, it's going to be, um, well, I've noticed that like since we've been, what is that, Displ not displaced, what happens when you get, I don't know what the word is, but now that we don't have Talent Health Club, we have certain tastes that we have to fulfill in terms of personal tastes. And what we're finding is that you have to go one place for pre-rolls, you have to go another place for flour, and then you got to go to another place for concentrates. So it's like, that's what, one thing I do miss about talent is most, of, not all the time, because you ran out of shit. But most of the time you had good shit of everything. Yeah. Well, and just let me go ahead on this. Record-setting organ marijuana sales continue to be a bright spot in the state's coronavirus slowed economy. State analysts reported this week. But a convergence of unknowns, including the end of federal coronavirus relief and a possible rise in cannabis prices due to devastating wildfires, could mean a rocky road ahead for consumers. So prepare because that is just a trickle effect that is a domino effect that's what's going to what happen happens. is that's going to move back east supply because, and demand well and it's not going to stay regionally no it's going to eventually creep out to the you know east coast where if y'all i'm sorry guys but our cannabis doesn't 100 stay in oregon so uh and it's also just says marijuana sales although continue to be strong the oregon office of economic analysis has said that rec sales have been up more than 30% above forecast all year. Look, so, yeah. and it hasn't changed. Uh, but also we're just now starting to see that the effect happen. Mm -hmm. Like once harvest happens, we'll know for sure then. Right. Um, but it looks October's good. Here. But it, it, right now it looks like that people ain't changing shit. We're just gonna keep smoking how we do. <laughs> but it's nice to see that cannabis went up in sales and alcohol went down. Well, that's just, just so like you know. us. We brought home some cherry chim. Yes, I know it's Kim. Good shit. I like to call it Chim. Now, and you're you've taken a position at uh, Heroes of the Farm, which is a well-known farm in this area. Yes, I am working for Heroes of the Farm, the local one down here, because mm -hmm. there is up north as mm -hmm. well. But very good farm. Yep, I'm I'm working. Um, Their bee buds are just okay with me. That's how good uh, that shit is. And he said that at one point he dropped off 
10 or 11 pounds of the GMO and it was sold before yeah. it even hit the shelf. And it was the GMO bee buds. But they're bee buds. If you already size. break up your buds. Yeah, it's just size. It's just size. Yeah. It all fucking smokes. And let me tell you, it's just stuff that falls off of the A buds. Uh, that's fine. Or you trim off by accident. You're all, oh, shit. Yeah, honestly, I finger trim it. <laughs> I, I I pinch off the, the dark green leaves and that's about all I do. So they use Flick them off. They use nectar for the gods. All all nectar for the gods. Dirt. Right. They use a twelve part. Jesus, I don't. I think that's them. what Carmen said was a twelve good, part. Yeah. Yeah. Good for them. I, it's a lot. They had of work. fucking buckets everywhere. A lot of work. And um, do they use anything extra? They do use. Pre, uh, they use predatory mites. So they use for preventive. They use so, predatory mites, but I mean, like any kind of enzyme or any kind of like. Uh, I'm not positive. I just saw what I saw, and I was yeah. talking to Carmen a little bit. Sure. I've been. I've been learning my way around i've been asking questions just because this stuff really really interests me and seeing it on a large scale is really fucking cool thank god uh that you're doing that and i'm really proud of you for getting out there it's it's a good place any like i said good flower good place so good stuff glad good people it, yeah uh but i just wanted this just because i'm reminded i just want to say again thanks to our patrons um uh, patron members mm -hmm. uh they continue to be great people they continue to uh uh, be patrons for us um, i'm working on give you got giving you guys more content too yeah so and i do want to say real quick just i don't want to sidetrack but if people are hearing clicks and shit in the microphone it's my freaking headphones i can't hear shit oh good it's ridiculous i got it they're supposed to be good they're sure 440s they're great love the headphones but god this one set keeps clicking click, 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 isn't click. that the one we got to bring in and see if they can i gotta i want to put some motor oil on this bitch wd <laughs> Anyway, I apologize. I'll use a different set next time. Uh, but let's get into it. We talked too much. Uh, well, Atlas shit. I know. I know. People are going to get bored. Atlas Seeds. Atlas Seeds is who we brought I on. Know, now, pretty fucking entertaining. Maybe. Sometimes. <laughs> Atlas Seeds is a uh, company that produces THC and CBD uh, autoflower. Now, there's a lot of controversy with autoflower. Uh, there, you know, some people say it's, it's not good, bud. some people say it's great, bud. some people say it's uncontrollable. Some people just, to each his own. Yeah. Well, not only that, but I think the one thing about autoflower is that it's its own beast. So you don't grow autoflower like you grow photoflower. No. Okay. So, and I think people get confused with that because I, I would imagine my guess is that most people, if not all beginners start out with photo period flowers and they get used to that that's mm -hmm. what they know and then they jump into oh autoflower it it'll it be done quicker it'd be done quicker and i don't have to deal with the, the light periods and this and that it's easier and then so they jump into it like it's a photo plant and it's a quarter of the size well or it, it doesn't flower it flowers too quick it flowers too too late it's it doesn't act right um there's definite skill to it and there's definite things you need to do along the way to make the autoflowers perform properly. Mm -hmm. So that was a really good conversation. We actually get into that where they talk about certain things, certain steps you can take uh, when you transplant. There's a very important you know, steps when you transplant. It, there's important steps right from the beginning of popping seeds. And those steps and those skills that along the way really make for a great autoflower plant mm -hmm. that works like it's supposed to, like you would expect it to. But it is nothing like growing a photo plant. And I think that's probably most of the problems for most people and i see it a lot i even see i even see uh intermediate growers that do that that will treat autos like they're photo plants 
people. And it's just, and I'm not talking with light. Right. I'm talking literally right down to what kind of soil, when you transplant, how are you transplanting? What are you transplanting into? Most important, when are you transplanting that autoflower? Yeah. There's many skills that are simple things that you can do that that make it work right. Mm-hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. You're not going to pull 25, 26, 27% THC plants out of autos. Okay? No, isn't it usually 17 to 18? 17 18 19 these guys are working on low 20s their their goal is to provide a shelf product or seeds that will perform in the low 20s for autoflower they're well on their way these guys are really in depth that's all they do is auto hey guys when we get started back up can uh uh talent health club hook, like get a hookup on some uh autoflower seeds we got some customers <laughs> that want some because they don't really deal with rec com- uh consumer level they're all okay uh like um commercial so they sell like thousands of seeds at a time not well, maybe i could sweet talk somebody into getting some that's our owner and putting them in as well we're getting some uh the they're store. sending us uh some packs and you know i'm gonna run them according nice. i'm still always gonna run our photos did but... he tell you what he said nina no. or is it a surprise no, I love surprises. So, uh, but they do autoflower, and I talk a lot about that whole subject. So, if you like autoflower and you want to see it done on commercial, this is it, and it can be done commercial. It's great. They they they're doing it. All right, welcome Ryan and Joe from Atlas Seeds, Oregon Love, Oregon Love. Stay rooted. Stay rooted. All right, I'm here with Atlas Seeds. I'm sitting down with Joe and Ryan. Uh, guys, why don't you introduce yourselves and let us know uh, who you are. Great. Uh, my name is Ryan Power. Um, Atlas Seed is a company breeding autoflowering cannabis and hemp for field scale production. Uh, so we spend most of our time out in the fields um, looking at performance, looking at yields, looking at disease resistance, and all the traits that we hope to take into a breeding program for a field scale application specifically. Uh, as an umbrella, we do a lot of things. I mean, we have consulting, we've got ag management, uh, we have our own production farms as well. Uh, but Atlas Seed itself, we're focused on uh, the breeding and seed production. So. Um, our background is actually in organic vegetable production. You know, t- 10 years ago, um, we were farming vegetables with horses, believe it or not. not we didn't even have tractors. And uh, kind of moved up and built the farm up, selling to Whole Foods and selling to restaurants and that kind of thing. Um, and then as, as a legalization started to roll out, you know, we got we got involved in in cultivating cannabis, and that's when we formed our connection with Joe. Um, and Joe sort of coached us early on on cannabis cultivation, light depth, indoor, outdoor. But but when I heard about autoflower, the light bulb went off in my head. I said, "Wait, there's a strain of cannabis that will just flower regardless of what." point in the season you're at or where you're at uh latitude i mean that's that's it that's what can be scaled up and 
so yeah, the analogy I use is like broccoli, right? Broccoli is a flower, right? What, what if you had to wait until October to get broccoli, you know, every year? Uh, it just wouldn't, you wouldn't see as much broccoli in the world as you do. So cannabis is something that people want. Um, and the supply and demand curve for cannabis is ridiculous. We'll see uh, prices north of $1,400 a unit during June and July that goes down to $700 by November, December, right? I mean, right. That, level, that level of, of um, supply and demand flux is, is huge. And it's, it's not like that in other agriculture industries whatsoever. Um, so as the industry matures and as we expand into other states and uh, you know, legalization rolls out nationally and internationally, autoflowers are going to play a huge role in a consistent supply of cannabis um, for consumers throughout the entire year. Well, it could play a role too, I imagine, in certain places that have like crummy weather, so to speak. I mean, you know, we've got a great season here for the most part, um, but places like, you know, down south and in Florida and stuff, you had, there's a lot of difficult places to grow. So I imagine that might help. But have you run into any difficulties with autoflowers? Because personally, for me, I've been growing for a few years and I've tried my hands on a few autoflowers and some have performed and some haven't. Uh, it seems like it's almost a gamble sometimes. I mean, unless you have the right genetics. I imagine if you source the right genetics, right, then it can be uh, maybe less difficult. <laughs> maybe I'll jump in here. This uh, Sure. Uh, my name's Joe Ullman. Uh, I'm the uh, head uh, CBD breeder in Atlas. Um, to uh, jump right at your question, um, I think uh, I know for a fact, Ryan, the first time that we – we're introduced to autos, we biffed pretty hard. So it's not just you. Um, they are a different beast than photo period. Um, they require an, ex an extremely uh, focused amount of attention uh, at certain key points to ensure that they uh, 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 basically get established well and keep growing. Um, I'm sh uh, what, what's the biggest problem you had with autos? When you well, I think Okay, that's a good question. One thing I found is that some autos would perform more like non-autos or whatever you want to say. I mean, I would have autoflower that would not that would perform just like any other plant in my garden. Uh, it would it would bloom early, but not very early, and it would kind of follow the rest. And I've also had autos that would literally bloom right away, and I'd get a plant that was maybe two foot tall, you know, full yeah, of buds, right. but it was two feet tall and it went right away. So there was no there was really no way for it, it in the experience that I had that, that I could see it being viable for a large farm to be able to count on, you know, uh, the outcome of those plants in my experience. Right. So the, so the first issue you had, um, you probably sourced inferior genetics and you won't get that with Atlas seed. Um, you, you thought you were getting autos, but you likely didn't get autos. Um, and that can be, uh, the reason for that could be uh, Im uh, improper attention in the breeding uh, where they didn't fully reverse the strain. Uh, and some, some seeds were autos and some were still photo. Um, the second part uh, issue that you had, we'll, we'll say an early trigger where you had a smaller, short, stunted plant. Uh, you can get that with 
our autos with any autos. Um, and that, uh, that is in the transplanting method. Um, they're very delicate. The roots don't like to be disturbed. Um, and so we, we have developed the methods and, uh, to ensure that you get a good set. And, um, I, I think really the, I mean, the biggest thing that we recommend, we require all of our growers to use is a floating media. Um, and, um, you know, there's a couple different examples out there. The one, uh, you know, we've used grow coons, uh, in our THC side, as well as Ellie pots on the CBD side. Um, I prefer Ellie pots, um, essentially just a wrapper or a, a biodegradable wrapper around the, the soil plug, um, so that you can dislodge it from its, uh, from its cell, uh, in essentially 10 days, roughly after sowing, uh, when the roots are just starting to come out, not enough roots to actually pull a, a cell out of the plug uh, or a plug out of the cell, but, um, but, a, but enough to get established in the ground. And if you do that with good soil moisture and proper, uh, proper technique, you're going to get an established set and you'll be good. Um, the other side of that is direct seeding, something that we're, um, we're seeing success with, but not wholesale success yet. So we're still playing with that. Um, yeah, we've Ryan. got, we've got some pretty good success, but I mean, yeah, Joe hit the nail on the head there. It's, uh, with the auto flowers, it's, it's all about the establishment phase. So if they get stunted, uh, during the first part of their life, they'll never reach the level of potential they could. And you imagine a full season crop photo period, you know, you have months of growth, uh, with auto, our auto flowers, it's 75 days from when you put the seed in the, in the soil, 75 days. So you imagine everything that normally happens in a, in an entire season is happening in two and a half months. So, uh, are you seeing the same volumes? I mean, I hate to interrupt you, but are you seeing the same kind of, even though there's sped up, I mean, are you still seeing some, some larger volumes out of that? No. So the, so basically what it looks like a field of, of our autos is uh, a set of genetics that, you know, will be done in 75 days from when you start the seeds and uh, an entire field of waist to chest high plants that are covered in flowers that require no trellising. Uh, you've either directly sown them in the soil, so you didn't have to do any transplanting, use any plastic or any soil media, or you've used a, some sort of floating media as Joe was describing, so that you could transplant before 15 days out of the seedling trays. And often the seedling trays are 128 cell trays, to 72 cell trays. We've seen people use 50s, but the, the goal is to get them in the ground as soon as possible. And we make that really clear to our customers. And sometimes people just, they don't get it. Like I potted them into four inches, then I put them in the field and they didn't really do that well. And I said, well, I told you about six or seven times not to do that. But so what it looks like is a, a field, like I said, waist to chest high. And the kind of yields you can expect is depending on uh, your level of, of experience and um, you know climate 
there's a range, right? So 3,000 to 6,000 pounds of bucked material. So that's the way we look at it. It's just biomass. Which And what we got across the board this year, and we did six acres so far, was a 55% return um, on that bucked biomass to trimmed units. Uh, other people are just taking the bucked and running it directly through extraction. Right. Um, and some people are just grinding it directly into pre-rolls or something like that. But uh, we trim them and sell them as, uh, you know, outdoor units, but just throughout the entire season. Um, and so those kind of yields are lower than you would get in photo period. But the advantage is that you can plant your full season crop after you pull your first round of autos, or you can do two rounds of autos, or in some locations, three. Uh, the cost of production is absurdly low compared to a uh, photo period. And, um, and the fact that you can get two harvests in one single season is huge, especially when you're paying a, a tax per square foot, like we do down here in California. Uh, we're paying a, a tax per square foot for outdoor cultivation license, but that price is built around a single harvest. They didn't know about autoflowers when they wrote the regulations. I don't know if they're going to change them or how they're going to approach that, but uh, you're able to, if you can get, you know, three to 6,000 more bucked units out of your field in a year out than of you would if you just only, only did full season, that's a huge financial benefit. Right. Because you're only being taxed on the area, not the volume coming out. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. And that makes sense. I, I know a lot of farmers as well, at least up here in Oregon where, you know, we do light depth and we do all this stuff to, to do the same thing that autos can. Um, but I see that being much more expensive and a lot more laborious because you're pulling tarps or not tarps necessarily, but you're pulling covers and you're, you know, uh, using lights and electricity and stuff like that to try to manipulate all that just to kind of do what the autos do naturally which is really cool. Um, and Joe, you know, I was reflecting on what you said and I, I can see that, you know, I was wondering if, you know, certain auto strains would have phenos that do not perform like the auto itself, unless it's either back crossed or, you know, genetically, um, you know, worked until it's just a complete auto, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I think that, um, autos, so the, the redeeming quality of cannabis ruderalis, mm -hmm. the one sole redeeming quality is the fact that it flowers on a set period of time. It's cannabinoid level, it's terpene level, its yield is pretty lackluster to, at best. Um, so uh, we weren't the first to come up with this, but uh, uh, it, it's one redeeming quality is to take that, that that auto flowering trait and start to uh, cross it with photo period genetics that have good can cannabinoid levels, CBD or THC, good terpene levels, good bud structure, tight bud structure. Um, so when making auto strains, you dip into the photo period gene pool, or you start with the photo period gene pool and then reverse to auto right. to do it takes multiple generations of, cro of, of back crossing into it. And um, let's say the first time you do it, they're all photo. 
because the the uh, auto flowering gene is recessive. Right. The second time you do it, you get some you get some auto. The third time you do it, you get some more auto. The fourth time you do it, you should have a hundred percent. But you know, oftentimes it takes five. Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking like maybe taking it back crossing it five times before it's actual stable. Before it's a hundred percent or what we would say would be a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And so now, so someone might have done it once or twice and said, Oh, these are autos, but you might've gotten, you know, 75% photo and 25% auto in it. And, um, they might not have known cause they were just, they didn't know what they were doing. Right. Right. Um, and getting back to what you said, Ryan, you know, you're saying, well, they're chest high to like, say six foot tall, you know, with all the interviews I've done with farms, um, that seems to almost be the key height because no chest high is the top that, that you'll see. Oh, on, on the autos waist. Yeah. I mean, waist to chest. chest. Okay. Yeah. They're going to be three, like between two and four feet. Okay. Depending on the season. Okay. It seems like a lot of farms like to have that four to six foot range just because they're not having to crawl ladders to, to get to the top of the, the buds to see them, you know, they're, they're able to harvest a lot easier. So the shorter plants seem to be more preferred these days, you know, back in the day of, of black market, you know, people are trying to grow 20 foot plants and in Oregon we were, you know, we're growing these big ass trees that, you know, take weeks to fricking trim because there's you know just so much on one plant but um it seems like a lot of these farms are starting to back down off that they're starting to get down to the six five four foot range just yep. to keep everything controllable and just um now in oregon i don't think we get taxed per acre or per square foot though i don't i don't know that for sure but i don't think we do so i don't think that's a factor here well one one really big bonus to autoflowers uh besides their their smaller structure which is which is actually takes less labor to to uh to maintain um is the fact that you can succession plant them and you'll be able to better utilize your post-harvest infrastructure uh whether that's labor or drying sheds or trimming crew um and you could keep them rolling you know let's say you plant it every every two weeks and you're in the ground in May and from mid July through now you're having harvest come down before your photo comes in. Right, right, right. So actually, so mixing them is a benefit too, right? I mean, you know, applying both photo and yeah, sure. Now, what about like, what about the quality? Are you able to get, pull the quality out of autos that you can out of these photo strains? I mean, some of these, really famous ones like the GMOs and the, the garlic cookies and yeah. stuff like that. Are, are you able to pull those genetics out of autos? Uh, no, it's, it's not the same. Um, we're, we're working on that by doing the backbreeding into strains like GMO uh, specifically actually, and blue dream and wedding cake. Uh, let's Tahoe cookies uh, to name a few. Right just to continue to push the the bar forward on on quality but does it does it get you high does it have thc does it look nice is it sparkly yeah um you know can you sell them in the middle of the season at prices that depths are going for right yeah yeah i mean right now yes um it, it there is a learning curve there um, and 
you know, sometimes they just won't perform and they'll get stretchy or larfy or something, but you know, by and large, we're really happy with the, with the quality and we're not going for that top shelf flower that's put into a fancy glass jar. Uh, you know, we're colloquially going for working man's weed, right? It's, it's bulk flour that's produced at low costs that can be passed on to the consumers so that, you know, you can grab a, a pre-roll bag or um, an ounce and not break the bank. Yeah. 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 We're, we're hanging out pretty solidly in the mid teens for cannabinoid levels. And our goal is 20. And, and I think that's the industry goal in auto. I don't think we're, I don't, we don't, we don't know of anybody doing field scale, you know, outdoor autos that are attaining those numbers consistently yet. Um, but it, yeah, it gets you stoned. Uh, buyers find a, uh, there's definitely a market for it. Um, without a doubt, we, I would say, I don't know, nine out of 10 of our growers this year have been successful at selling their crops. Maybe it's 10 out of 10. I'm just putting in that one just, you know, uh, but um, it's it's definitely there's there's a value to it. Yeah, for sure. Well, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, and I imagine, too, like, are your seeds going to be available to the public as well? Not just uh, like at a um, um, business level or, or will your seeds be available to, you know, like backyard growers and stuff like that? Uh, some some of the clients we have are packaging them into small seed packages like distributors yeah going into retail yeah that would i'm sorry our focus is is field scale large large producers gotcha gotcha the only reason i ask is because you know especially in states like oregon we do have a lot of personal home grows and i think that if someone could master the auto flower that you know that for a home grow would be great um I see myself, you know, like I, I'm, I'm a dedicated sun grower. I do indoor growing, but mostly for mother plants and for, you know, clones or, or starting my seeds off, whatever. But, you know, 80% of what I grow is outdoors. And right now what I do is basically I'll run a real early season. I'll start popping beans in February. I'll get them out, you know, at the, even before mother's day, you know, which is risky. But, um, you know, I'll get them out and then I'll run those all season. But I always got, you know, about July, mid-July, late July, 1st of August, I'll start another batch of seeds. Of course, they're photos, so they'll only come out so tall. But if I run a few of them, you know, I can get another crop in without even having to do photo periods. But it would be nice if you could incorporate maybe a full season of photo, like you're saying, as a personal grower, and then also incorporate some autoflower on the front end and the back end of it uh to kind of increase your your yields in a small area you know oh yeah so that's why i ask about the personals because you know there's a, probably a lot of uh, personal growers that could benefit from e- either intermingling those two or, or even just using autoflower uh you know these small tents you know if you're going to push some volume you know growing one plant versus cycling a few every 57 days or whatever might be better just saying yeah absolutely. yeah no yeah. i mean it makes it it makes it easy autoflowers are often marketed right now on the online seed banks and stuff it's kind of like 
afterthought or um, it just flips on its own. You don't have to manipulate the light cycle. It's great for beginners. Uh, but that's, it's like the opposite though, because you can make mistakes can stack up so easily with autos and, and then you get this poor product and then the autoflower kind of has, uh, you know, it's name slandered because of all those yes, experiences. Absolutely. And what I've noticed too, that you guys have brought up is that there's some skill to autoflower. There's a different, even if it's just a simple change, there's different methods that you incorporate into taking care of an autoflower and um if you don't do those things you know you're more than likely probably going to end up with less than inferior and, and spreading you know negativity on it so that's unfortunate yeah. but um you know like i said i've always tried them i just myself as a personal grower have not i guess found the right genetics or maybe not the right technique um yeah technique is a big part of it um i mean we so i don't think i said but um we're I run the CBD side of us, um, the breeding, and we're located in Pennsylvania. Um, so we're doing breeding here on the East Coast. Uh, and I have a client, we have a, a couple customers this year that are, you know, 10 year veteran um, uh, vegetable growers, transplant model, first year with autos, even with uh, my help, they still biffed the in the beginning because they didn't actually do everything i told them to when we when i you know looked at in the fact hey you didn't use ellie's why did you not use ellie's well honestly i heard you but i i just thought i didn't have to and it's like and and they they want to uh, they're mad at themselves and they want to give up but it's like no listen we're still here for you here's more seed i know you can do this and you know they get back in the ground they get back basically back on the saddle and um and the beauty of it is you're not losing much time because here's more seed, sow it. Uh, 10 days from now, you're going to be back in the field. And, you know, you're, so, you, so uh, yeah, the beauty of, of autos uh, can be achieved, but you have to think of it like because it's so compressed, it's 75 days, you got to keep your foot on the gas pedal. Uh, and that's with, with feeding them. Uh, whether that's preloading your field uh, with with fertilizer, you're still going to be also, you know, we're looking. We we usually roll out at two to three hundred pounds of nitrogen per acre. Um, we had some growers. We work with some Amish growers out here in Lancaster County. A um, couple of them went and pushed four and five hundred pounds of nitrogen per per acre, which uh, actually we saw some really good results with that. It's like they could handle that amount of uh, of food. Um, and then we're also drip irrigating and fertigating through that. Um, you don't have any time to make up like a stumble out of the gate. You, you really, it's a sprint. It's not a marathon. Um, so we're, I mean, we're, we are capable of conveying in written form and verbal form um, all the keys to success. Uh, I think one really strong point of, of Atlas is that we do have uh, great uh, media, uh, backroom media uh, folks putting together our our uh, our guides, our propagation guides, uh, and stuff like that, so that you know you can you can read it, you can hear it, we can talk to you about it. We're very accessible. Um, you get you get you get some handholding when you're when you go to work with us. It sounds like uh, 
not, well, that's a good thing, I'm sure. But um, it sounds like that's almost necessity in terms of education on the, on the yeah. auto flower. Yeah. So what's the process when a farm, you know, connects with you and you guys, um, you know, start working with them as far as if they're going to, you know, if you guys are going to supply seeds and education, how does that work? Uh, they usually reach out through, we have a grower intake form on our website. Um, uh, and then it kind of get parsed out through either THC or CBD. Uh, and, um, I'll handle the CBD side. Uh, Liam or Ryan or Adam will hand handle the THC side of things and just start, start getting to know people. What are you growing? What's your experience? Have you ever grown autos before? Um, do you have irrigation capabilities? Um, uh, and, and then we'll just start talking about what they've done in the past. Uh, with the CBD side, there's definitely a lot of, um, you know, I definitely talk to people like, do you have a market for your product? Uh, because, you know, there's, it's harder to sell CBD than it is uh, THC in general. And, and, and I, we almost, we want to save people from biting off too much uh, in the beginning um, because they need to be successful for us to be successful long-term. Mm -hmm. Sure. Now, do you guys, what kind of strains, I mean, can you mention some strains that you carry or have that gives us an idea of what's available or. I, I'll say the CBD side. Um, we have three strains. Um, we have purple star. Um, these are all proprietary strains, purple yeah. star fame and Wilhelmina. Um, we, uh, Ryan, Ryan can talk more about the THC. Okay. So. Right. Yeah. So we've got, um, a few different haze dominant strains, um, and some OG, uh, strains. And, uh, you know, we have, we've got a list of strains. We have a strain catalog, um, that we're updating for the 2021 season. And uh, we have some pretty exciting stuff coming out that uh, performed really well for us, got nice and frosty. Uh, some of them have a very sweet nose. Some of them have a very jacky nose and some of them are gassy. Nice, nice. Now, this is all for consumer level, right? So the farms that you're dealing with, with these autoflowers, this all ends up at consumer level in terms of recreational or medical, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> There's nothing yeah. left black market. Uh, that's funny. Um, so what is it like? And you said Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, Pennsylvania. So what is it like there statewide in terms of THC and CBD? How is it there as far as, uh, you know, politics and legalization and stuff like that? Uh, there's there's a um, there's a medical program here. Uh, it's pretty robust in the sense that they allow uh, it's been operating for, I believe, it's two or three years. Um there are multi-state operators here, but there's only 50 licenses were given to dispensaries and they could each open three. So there's only a total of 150 in the state dispensaries. And then there's only 25 grower licenses, um, very much restricted, um, hoping that, and you needed, you needed a half a million dollars to apply $2 million in the bank. So very much a, you know, a, a high barrier to entry. Um, that's for the THC side. Wow. Uh, but the rec rec has been the governor just endorsed he wants to have recreational um uh the good thing though see the dispensaries here are open for business um there are 
multiple dispensaries that I've been to that I've that that gladly take let customers come in with nine thousand dollars in cash and buy up everything they can and walk out and you know darn well they're going to resell that on the street and the fact that i can see that the dispensaries are okay with that i'm like good that means you're open there's nothing wrong with that um (laughs) well i'll i'll say that i i would imagine that that happens pretty much everywhere that there's dispensaries and and recreational yeah um, especially with the prices that fluctuate, you guys pointed out, you know, even in, uh, uh, the legal arena, uh, you'll have seasonal changes in the money, you know, 700 a pound up to 14, you know, in Oregon, we still get, if you get a good indoor at the right time of the year, you can go up to 21, 2200, which yeah. is still really nice. Not yeah. a, not oh, yeah. a, not a lot compared to the black market days, but really good for, for recreational. Um, but, but it does fluctuate a lot. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) yeah, the, the, um, the hemp side of things, the CBD side of things here, um, a lot of, uh, our growers are getting returned $200 a pound, uh, untrimmed. Um, I, I, I think that basically there's the those units are being sold for between three and four hundred um the rent that that one the 200 is either going to the broker or and or going to the trimming a lot of the stuff here is machine trimmed um just because of the uh just the the economics of it um are you talking thc or cbd or both cbd cbd CBD. sure sure that makes sense that makes sense yeah yeah two two hundred dollars basically is what the farm is being returned but the the farmer can, uh, when you compare it to a lot of growers around here, um, when the Amish anyway, they're comparing it to tobacco. Um, and we can, uh, with our purple star, our purple star is, uh, is leading the way this season, uh, as far as, um, uh, the growers are concerned because they're, because it's purple yeah, uh, buyers find it to be exotic and they're just, they're just chewing it up. They're eating it up. Um, so I feel like that is, uh, going to really lead strongly out of the gate for next year. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, I, I, they can still make, they can make as much, if not more than tobacco, uh, per acre. Um, so this has become when, significant for them. I mean, in terms of a crop, yeah, I mean, so a, a tobacco acre right now will uh, tobacco prices are the highest they've been in about eight years. Um, they can make they can gross about fifteen grand an acre um, with CBD at two hundred dollars a pound. Um, and I'm going to be really conservative. Let's just say five hundred pounds per acre. Uh, you're you're they're they're making um, they're making a lot more money than they would be making just growing tobacco. Um, it's not, I wouldn't say it's widespread because it's new. Um, but you know, we have 13 growers, uh, 13 Amish growers, uh, in Lancaster, um, that are, you know, that are blazing the trail, so to speak. That's awesome. (laughs) What I think is funny is, uh, is that that's so dominant there. Like that's actually a thing. (laughs) Yeah. 
Oh yeah, you mean tobacco or? Well, no, just Amish doing it. <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry. Right? You, you got to see the pictures of the guys driving the horses through. It's the, awesome through the hemp. It's really yeah. amazing. I it's, bet. I mean, they're great growers. I mean, they're legacy growers of, of any plant. So yeah. no, totally. had a lot of it. Yeah. I feel I feel pretty lucky to be able to, to work with them. Uh, they're. I think the one thing they need help on, and they'll admit that is getting through their head that buyers want the product to look as close to marijuana as possible. So they need to hand trim it and stop machine trimming it. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's a slow, a little bit of a slow learn on that. Now yeah. are the machine trims, is that a horse powered machine trimmer, Joe? <laughs> uh, it is, it is not. So, okay. So very interesting. Amish are, there's many different factions or uh, of them. Uh, there's ones that, are very old school, use no electricity. Um, and then there are ones that drive cars. Uh, there are ones that own cars, but won't drive them. There's ones that use steel wheels. There's ones that use rubber wheels. Some use generators. They'll, they're allowed to use a diesel powered generator, but not drive a gas powered or diesel powered tractor or car. And, and it's like, but they all look the same. They're all wearing the same garb, but it's like, okay. You know, it's very interesting. Yeah. So yeah. this is uh, exceptions to the rule, I guess. Huh? They're, they're coming into the modern age with some leniency. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they are. They definitely you can do they, this, but you can't do this. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. But that's cool. I mean, so that's it's a pretty big thing in Pennsylvania for this, right? Um, yeah, I would say that it's uh, it's it's a pretty I mean, last year there were uh, 8,000 acres planted in PA. This year, I haven't heard the numbers, but it's definitely lower. Um, probably probably three to 4,000 acres. Um, in the state? In the state, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, a lot of people grew a lot of product, a lot of hemp last year, and still are still working through selling it. There was an overproduction. Oh, sure. I think nationwide. I mean, you know, like I think yeah. the, the four or 5,000 acres is just in our County. I mean, I, we got, you know, yeah. I don't think you can drive anywhere anymore in Oregon without, I mean, as soon as you hit city limits, it's hemp or THC everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Um, so, and then last year, of course, we had the big CBD boom and that kind of just, uh, it, it hit here and it literally wiped out like 50% of the farms just because, um, people, all kinds of new people jumped in, didn't realize the, the struggle and ended up failing. And so we had last year, we had fields and fields and acres of just rotting hemp everywhere, which, you know, adds yeah. to that, that issue, you know, there's so much of it. Um, so this year it kind of cleaned them out immediately though. This year we've got like, I, I, the last study, I, the survey we did, I think it was like 40% less farms in the area in one year. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's insane, but, um, but yeah, I imagine nationwide that hemp is definitely, uh, in overabundance at this point. Yeah. 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 I would say in general, um, uh, the extraction market is just not, uh, uh, you, there's no wholesale buyer that's just going to come to your farm and buy everything up. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of people, some people have decided to start their own brands and try to take it all the way to shelf 
to the shelf. And um, I recommended that to people, but not every, that's not, it's a lot easier said than done. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it, federal, uh, the, if the FDA would give it, it's generally regarded as safe designation, then you'd have the bigger uh, corporations that would feel safe to venture in and start buying up large amounts of CBD extract and start putting it into soft drinks and foods. Now with autoflower, do you guys have trouble with the farm bill in terms of like the point, what is it? 0.3% or something 0.03% or something. Have you guys had that problem with your autos? No. Um, we just have them test at the appropriate times, get the clearance to harvest. And then, uh, we, I won't say we haven't had some hot tests, uh, as I think every, I think anyone that claims that their product won't go hot, I won't say anyone. I mean, it, it's a challenge, right? We don't, we don't, uh, we're not offering CBG genetics, which, which are claiming they're able to stay under all the time. Um, so it's, uh, it is a bit of a, uh, it's something you have to pay attention to, um, but I can tell, I will, I convey to all of our growers that, that will grow the CBD autos that, you know, on day 50, you need to test, um, or day 52 or day 55, cause we've grown them enough and we know when you're going to get a good sample. And then, you know, certain States are 15 days, some are 30 days. Um, obviously the 30 days are a lot easier to work with than 15 days. Um, yeah, no, I get it. <clears throat> had anyone have to destroy their crop yet that's good that's good yeah um because that's a concern we just talked about it on the last episode with jason wilson where um where the this well, there's several issues one is that there's people have been using this delta eight against the farm bill and then um cbd um has been an issue because um you know the way people process it so um i was just curious about that on the thc side ryan like do you personally grow autoflower or have you personally outside of the business and company have you ever done any personal stuff with autos oh yeah they're they're ever they're all over our farm they just okay. they're volunteering at this point uh, well no i know but i mean but, as far as for you like personally have you ever grown personally yourself thc plants yeah of course yeah. okay yeah. um i i don't i don't like the really strong uh weed honestly i i just get completely blasted and um couch locked or anxiety or whatever sure sure uh, so i really like uh something that has a more balanced um high that said i don't i can't even like the autos are still too strong for me to smoke during the day and work i i, I smoke our cbd auto flower um roll it up and love smoking that cbd is great uh it's just it's really interesting like smoking a joint and it smells like weed and it tastes like weed but you just don't get all blitzed you know yeah so yeah. I, I like that and i i like to when i do smoke weed i really appreciate growing it just right in the ground um and i don't spray it and i won't fertilize it because if it's just for me or my friends i want that plant to have the essence of where it's grown the soil where it's grown the climate without any alteration or minor alterations uh i appreciate that a lot more maybe um it's such an interesting thing because it's like well how can you actually tell the difference it's in the quality of the experience after you smoke the quality of the high so to speak which is you know 
it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's recreational, it's all those things. And um, it's a really powerful herbal medicine that does connect um, our bodies and minds to the place where it was grown. And so I, I notice a, a big difference in the experience smoking a plant, autoflower or full season. If, it, if it's just grown, especially if it volunteered there, just popped up on its own and just let it go natural. That's my pr preferred way to do it. Um, <clears throat> it's funny. I've talked to a couple farms that have talked about volunteer plants and they've actually adjusted their farming practice based on their volunteers, meaning like they've actually created rows and sections on their farm based on their volunteers and been very successful with it. Um, yeah, yeah which that's a long-term thing and that's, it can be excessive, but at the same time, I, like I said, I've, I've, I've talked to a few farms that have actually spent maybe 10, 15 years actually adjusting how their field works based on their volunteers that come. So if yeah. there's this big patch of volunteers that keeps showing up over here, they'll create, you know, a patch or a row over on that area of that particular strain, even, um, just to put in that area. Um, but I think that all goes right back to Appalachian or terroir or whatever, like what you're talking about, Ryan, where, yeah. you know, the, 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 uh, outside influence or the environmental influence on that strain in that area, whether it's bacteria or fungi or the air, the heat, the temperature, the humidity, all that, you know, will affect the plant as a whole. And um, even sprays, you know, I, a lot of people I've talked to where they've used uh, organic sprays. Some of them are, you know, uh, uh, like oils, like concentrated oils. Some are bacteria, you know, some yeah. are all kinds of things. And so any one of those things, especially I, I think bacteria can really have an effect on the flavor and taste of a plant, whether it's from soil or even on the surface of it. Sometimes, you know, I think it all kind of lens to it so oh absolutely yeah i guess that goes back to organic and stuff like that but um anyway so so for you guys uh joe do you do you consume cannabis at all uh cbd yes. or thc uh thc uh i'm a i'm a faithful five to ten milligrams a day uh i prefer uh tincture um I like to uh, keep my lungs clear for just you know cardio, cardio reasons. Um, but yeah, I, I've I've been I've been consuming cannabis since I was in high school. <laughs> that sounds that sounds about right. <clears throat> do, do you do any CBD at all? Uh, I do. CBD really helps me uh, sleep. Um, if I'm not feeling uh, you know, if you get a little stressed, you got a big day the next day, uh, uh, case in point harvest, I'd never sleep very well the night before a harvest day. I'm just anxious to get up and to get going. Um, and you know, be, you know, get everything set up before the crew gets there. But, um, I'll take some CBD, uh, tincture and it definitely knocks me out and I don't need very much of it. And I'll, I'll sleep. I'll often, I'll have my wife wake me up cause I'll sleep through the alarm. Well, and you were saying you take THC tincture too? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I take them both. Um, is that, I usually smoke as much. Is that something you make yourself or do you have a product that you prefer? Um, I, the CBD tincture, um, uh, a local guy out here, uh, wild, his name is Ben Davies, uh, wild Fox provisions. 
he makes uh, uh, the tincture. He is a, a an organic CSA uh, a vegetable and and meat farm, and then he also does hemp. They make a really nice product. Um, and then if there's another CBD I like, I'm just going to plug them. I have a friend that works up in Vermont at Sunsoil, um, up in Hardwick, Vermont, and um, that's a that's a really nice product. It's cheaper than Ben's, um, but but also you know very good. Uh, certified organic and then the THC tincture is just a friend of mine up in Vermont makes them and I don't think he has a brand but he's got a great a great recipe and uh, and he I, I get them from him how did you guys get started in this stuff was it something you cared about in the beginning like plant medicine um, and and plants as a whole or I mean growing gardens from a from a young age uh, for definitely and um, studying the the state of the world studying environmental studies in school just sort of led me down a path uh, towards agriculture uh, as a way to unplug from the rat race society and just be outside interacting with plants and animals and elements on a daily basis is something that you know fills me up and and makes me feel more human um, and, you know, farming has always been before money. Uh, so you, you, you can survive without the, the whole system if you have your seeds in your farm. And uh, plant medicine specifically has to be a part of that resilience that you bake into your, your whole holistic farm plan. So, uh, you know, on our farm, which is called New Family Farm, uh, we've got medicinal herbs, we've got organic vegetables, and we also have cannabis. Um, and, uh, you know, we used to raise animals, but I, I decided I was more of a plant guy and yeah, that, that connection with the, with the actual reality of the earth living outside and, and working with the elements is something that's deeply important to us here. That's great. Uh, I think that a lot of times that's what cannabis has brought to the industry is even though it's commercial in a lot of places now and it's, you know, become a commodity in in some sense, um, you know, it's still, uh, I think a lot of the reason it's so popular is because it's one of the best plant medicines. So, um, yeah. And it's no wonder that a variety of people get a variety of relief from a variety of things based on all these cannabinoids. But it's it, most of the time I end up talking to people, you know, like you that uh, have a connection to it. And I think that's what we lost over a lot of period of time is we've lost connection with our more natural ways of dealing with things, which is not 100 percent. I mean, there's a lot of pharmaceutical, not a lot, but I think there's some key pharmaceuticals that are very helpful for us. But um you know, compared to the 50% of the stuff we could get from nature's, um, which leads me to this. I mean, what do you guys feel about, I told you I'd talk about this, but what do you guys feel about things like psychedelics and other psychoactives? Is that something you incorporate in your lives or is that something that um, you don't? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, Microdosing yeah. uh, psilocybin is a, uh, is a great, um, a great energetic, uplifting, uh, mood enhancing, thought provoking, uh, you know, uh, experience. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely wouldn't be here without some of the formative experiences I've had working with, um, you know, psilocybin mushrooms specifically. Um, you know, yeah, like Joe said, my, we microdose often 
Um, and I, I agree with you, you know, there's, it's not like pharmaceutical is bad per se, or that herbal is bad. And I think there's this world or there's people that say, oh, these things are against each other and it's right. either pharmaceutical or herbal. Yeah. And we mm -hmm. take more of a integrating approach because there's a time and a place for all sorts of medicine. And I, I just think it's asinine to disregard an entire plant as not helpful or right. a whole system of knowledge as primitive or, or you know, not useful or helpful. And it's just quite frankly, it's just stupid to do that because there's tons of, um, I mean the, the, what we're going to, uh, unveil and the useful utility, uh, in cannabis, hemp, CBD, THC, all the different cannabinoids we're discovering, it's going to be profound. They already have that Epidiolex, which is a CBD, uh, medicine that mm -hmm. it relieves uh, children's epilepsy and, you know, I can speak from personal experience. So, you know, um, one, my daughter has a form of childhood epilepsy. That's, uh, it's not very bad. It goes away usually when they hit puberty. And so we took some CBD that we grew here, you know, in my mom's garden and over here at the farm and, uh, just made a simple extraction into olive oil. And, uh, since we started giving that to her 10 milligrams, per day, uh, guess what? The seizures have stopped. And um, we did, we went to a pediatric uh, neurologist who said there's very little treatment that's successful and you only wanna do it if the seizures get really frequent and strong and there's nothing you can do except for weight. And then in my own fucking garden, I grew a plant and extracted it into olive oil and it's been a year and a half, right? So there, yeah, there's, there's no one or the other. And, and we really need to integrate, uh, integrate our thinking when it comes to medicinal uses of plants and, and fungus. Sure. Well, sure. Absolutely. And it's like you said, <clears throat> when one side is done, that's it. Like, you know, like even with plant medicine, they say, well, you know, if this is not helping you, there's nothing left. And same with pharmaceutical. Well, we've tried everything we can do. There's nothing left. But when you integrate both, it seems like there's other options sometimes. Um, Absolutely. But, or but they can be symbiotic. Right. Synergistic. And, uh, Synergistic. But, but, but either either side doesn't want to recognize that. There's a lot of diehard herbalists and then diehard pharmacopoeia that doesn't want to, you know, don't want to intermingle, uh, which is unfortunate. Because, you know, um, like I said, I found relief in, in both sides. Um, I think that the side effects are a lot less on the natural side, usually. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I um, agree. I mean, I, yeah, the mushrooms, you can, you can go down a deep, dark, deep, dark hole sometimes though. Yes. But who's to say that's bad for you? You know, I mean, life is hard and I, I mean, I've seen some scary things about myself in, in psychedelic experiences and ultimately that that's made me more of a whole and, you know, grounded person right yeah there's something to to be said about you know just go with it because even if it's a bad trip like you said i think it's got some good qualities to it um i've definitely spent a couple hours sitting in the corner crying for sure uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know it's, it wasn't ever a bad experience for me because i didn't look at it that way but um yeah it's definitely um psychedelics can be very um make you vulnerable and also make you self-aware for sure which i think is part of the good stuff but it's intense at first, so you got to kind of work with that. But uh, 
But it's interesting that you said I've never actually microdosed. I've only macrodosed. I've never really microdosed. Do you have a schedule you follow or do you just do it as you feel? Like, do you take it that serious or do you just do it occasionally or? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, we take it pretty serious. Um, so, uh, you know, we've got these um, chocolates that have other herbs and mushrooms in there that synergize with the psilocybin and that each chocolate has one gram of psilocybin that's stone ground and then so i would have so to eat seven off. chocolates <laughs> yeah, yeah. wow <laughs> I, I guess so yeah. well you said you said so seven we, you said a gram each so okay that's right yeah, yeah. so we take 0. 0.1 0. 0.1 grams is like the microdose uh but you know to be honest we uh oftentimes will take a little bit more than that um I call it like the one beer version of mushrooms. So, you know, sure. one beer on an empty stomach, you do feel something, but you're not for drunk. a minute. Yeah. Uh, for a minute. Yeah. 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 Uh, the true microdose, you're not even, it's sub perceptual. Um, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't feel anything. And the uh, once a week, one day per week, although I've done more where you do four days on two days off, four days on okay. two days okay. off. Um, but for, for me, um, and for, you know, the friends here, what one day per week is a great, it's great. Right. What about you? Right. What about you? What about you, Joe? Um, since uh, my my intake has decreased since I uh, set up operations here in Pennsylvania, uh, since I left you, Ryan, uh, in California. Right. Um, but um, I do have some of those same chocolates, and uh, I am more. I did a couple times this summer. Uh, we'll, we'll say once every couple months. Um, just uh yeah i mean it's it's a nice it's a it's a nice reminder when i get back into it's like putting on a nice you know a nice old pair of jeans and it's just like oh that's really, that's really nice um yeah i'm i'm a big i've always been a big fan of them since i first tried them when i was in high school and uh and i have taken too men too much uh, you know well i'll say this but i've been <laughs> i've been uh yeah, I've, I've gone, I've gone out in the woods on my own and been, uh, you know, uh, just spooked, but, but in a, in a good way, like in an uncomfortable way, but push through it and get through it. And it totally makes you, you know, look inside yourself. And, uh, if you have any thoughts in your mind, you're going to go take them all the way to the end and you're going to really think it through. And it's a good way to look at the other side of, of the coin. Uh, if you're, uh, I think they're great, they're great at, they're great fun, but they're also great at trying to, uh, break through something that you're having trouble understanding. I think that's why people oh, yeah. re refer to the intention part, because a lot of times there could be a mess of that stuff going on and without intention, you kind of just get lost in that stuff. But, um, yeah. but with intention, you can kind of focus on those things you want to think about during the during the experience yeah but uh, oh yeah uh, yeah so what is your opinion on like you know and this could go back to even cannabis when you isolate something so like um so you know mushrooms are a good example of nature's psychedelics but what about say lsd or we can you know refer to cannabis as say like uh, isolate with cannabis um thc or cbd do you i mean do you think isolating something down to its base you know, base molecule and then making that the, the medicine is, is the way to do it. Or do you think that having a full spectrum 
Uh, and like I said, it could be either or. Like with cannabis, you can talk about full spectrum right. where the, all the cannabinoids are synergistic. Um, with mushrooms, there's many compounds in mushrooms, uh, psychedelic mushrooms even. Um, but you take like, say, MDMA or pure LSD, something like that. Still psychoactive, still psychedelic, but it's a pure compound um, and acts a little bit different. Um, what's your feeling yeah. on that with either one, either with cannabis or with, with psychoactives? Sure. Yeah. I, I, if there was a full spectrum version of LSD or <laughs> right, I'd love to take it, you know, because <laughs> the isolate is amazing. Um, right. Right. Okay. Yeah. But the, that, that said with cannabis and, um, and psilocybin, you know, I, my preference is to let the plant or mushroom speak for itself and take the full spectrum. Um, but I think it's just, it's the same thing we were just talking about. Like there's probably a use for the isolated, just the, only the psilocybin and only the, uh, THC molecule. And there's use for that full spectrum as well. Um, I, I prefer full spectrum and I look forward to people looking at these things through the lens of science with, actual open minds to discover what's really there. I know there's some companies that are doing this and doing actual research um, into the therapeutic benefits of, of mushrooms, LSD and MDMA. And I, I mean, once we start looking and, and actually use that lens of research science, we're going to find so much, uh, we're going to find so much there. And we already have uh, found amazing um, benefits that some of the, that are just, unprecedented in medicine, right? Well, and I think you brought up a good point when you're talking about um, how you grew a plant that was able to be simply, you know, reduced down to uh, a concentrated form and then given to help epilepsy in your own little circle. Um, I think that is part of the issue with, with as we move forward is that Literally, if you were to able to grow, say, some mushrooms and some cannabis and some CBD in your backyard, I mean, that's like 50% of your medicine cabinet right there. You know what I mean? And then, you, you know, and then you get a couple of things like maybe a press or, a you know, a, a, a steam distiller or something. And, and you're most of the way there, um, you know, so I. You know, that's pretty cool, I think, on the consumer side. On the flip side, though, you know, I think that kind of hampers the pro progress. Um, although, like with mushrooms in Oregon, you know, we got it on the ballot this year. So we got plenty of signatures. It's on the ballot. Um, we'll see. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just think about the like, just think about the audacity or somebody make a logical argument for why a plant right. is not legal or like there's fungus, but this fungus you can't have you can't have this fungus it's well it's not it's nonsense <laughs> what's what's really interesting is that first of all the 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 groups here that that actually are doing this is called decriminalized nature right which is fitting i mean literally right. you shouldn't have to decrim nature um since we've been living it with for you know god knows how long um there's a lot of states like probably you guys that are quite far behind on that right like there's nothing even on no, in Pennsylvania, there's <laughs> the, whole, the, whole eastern, the whole eastern seaboard, a bit more conservative culturally in this this neck of the woods. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's decriminalized yeah. in Oakland. 
Okay. Yes, Oakland, Denver, um, Sacramento. I think now that I, I could be wrong. San Diego, Sacramento. It's one of those. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so we should be next on that list. We'll see. Um, it'll be interesting how they handle that, though. I don't know if that's something that's going to be regulated by, like, say, OLCC or FDA. Even cannabis might hit that at some point. I don't know. Um, yeah, that, if, that is the. I mean, if it's anything like the recreational cannabis legislation here, it'll just fuck it up, you know, because it's like, oh, it's supposed to be safe and do so good. But it's just ruining so many things. I mean yeah once you like open the door people rush in and try to monetize and capitalize and commodify things like mushrooms or lsd or cannabis but at, you know at its root i i agree with you that if if people can do this if they choose in their own homes and right. grow, grow something that just grows and it's not you know it's not harming their neighbors it's not like a meth lab that's going to explode or something like <laughs> uh no no nope. that, that's that's our you know that's our right as human beings on this planet is to cultivate the plants that are already here and that have been here for longer than human beings have like oh the absolutely grand cosmic absurdity of saying that we can't have something that was that's older than us you know well that we've been in commune with for 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 those same amount of times i mean we've yep. been living with this stuff that stuff helped us way before pharmaceuticals i mean you know, I, I was talking to my wife the other day, something this simple. Um, we went out to the Redwoods in Northern California and um, she got uh, poison oak in the Redwoods. Now, I mean, I, I know we got a lot of poison oak around here, but like I did not realize it was common in the Redwoods either. And we were walking through just doing a path and she caught some poison oak and it got bad. I mean, it blistered and it it got bad. And had we not been in union with plants and stuff way back, can you imagine getting something like that and not being able to deal with it? I mean, a plethora of things. Had we not been using plants and nature's medicine in the beginning, we would have been really, you know, uncomfortable to say the least. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's only gotten better with pharmaceuticals, but, but we all started from the plants, you know, yeah. And so it's, <laughs> we don't need them now, I guess. So they have to be illegal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, Craig, uh, I, I hate to say this, but I got to jump off. I have a hard stop in a minute. Oh, okay. Um, I'm, I apologize about that, but um, it's all good. Me, I'll finish with Ryan. It's been great talking with you and yep. I can't wait to hear this uh, when you put it up live. Absolutely. Thanks again. All right, Ryan. Well, let's get back to uh, Atlas. We don't want to get too far from that. Um, so now, how do people, like these businesses, how do they find you? How can they look you guys up and get a hold of you and ask questions and maybe do some business with you? Right. Yeah. Well, so part of what we do, a large part of what we do is navigating the inane bureaucratic regulation world to get our seeds to the customer who wants them in the, in the timeline that works for them. So, I mean... Uh, that's going to vary uh, place by place. But uh, in California, well, our website is atlasseed.com, right? So go there and learn a lot about us there. Download the materials Joe was referencing, propagation guide, growing guide, um, some case studies. And in California, it's it's uh, word of mouth 
um, Oregon as well. You know, some of our genetics are available in Oregon through licensed nurseries. And uh, basically, you know, we're, we'll license our genetics to a nursery who will then produce the seed and sell it. Uh, so the best way to get a hold of us is just through that website, atlasseed.com. And then from that, you can kind of direct people where to go based on yeah, needs. Yeah. And, so we've yeah. got to figure out how to, how to get things where they need to be. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, we, we've, uh, sold a lot of seeds this season, uh, and we've made a lot of improvements on the seeds we have. And we've made a lot of improvements in our breeding process and strategy. And um, I'm really excited for 2021. I, th I think we're just going to have some great lines to put out there. And I'm excited to grow them myself on our farm. Right, right, right. Uh, now, um, do you guys have like any social media that people can follow and see what you guys are doing at the time? Like Facebook, Instagram, yeah. anything like that? There's Instagram. It's um, just Atlas Seed on Instagram. And then yeah. Atlas, there's Atlas Seed underscore CBD for the CBD part. I think that's it. But if you search for Atlas Seed, you'll find it. Now, are you guys shipping nationwide? <clears throat> or well, no, no, no. Um, you know, we can't legally do that. So, um, you know, our, like, but like I said, there are licensed nurseries in different states that do the have our genetics and are producing the seeds there for sale within that state. Um, gotcha. The hemp seeds they'll ship nationwide, right? Right. Um, actually, can you hit uh, ship hemp uh, worldwide now, or is that still in the gray area? Uh, I, I'm Depends not sure on where. That, Joe would know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just curious. Just curious. Okay. Well, is there anything you wanted to cover? Uh, no. I mean, no. This has been interesting, and you know, I just though there's a autoflowers have a bad name. I'll just put it that right. way. Uh, you know, you explained your experience and um, I understand why, because I grew a lot of trash before we found something we wanted to actually work with. And uh, over the years, you're going to see the cannabis industry change from a predominantly horticultural industry into an agricultural industry. And, um, when you can throw in, you know, a thousand acres of autoflowers for the cost of putting in a handful of acres of dep houses, for example, the math, is, the economies of scale, all the influences and of, of modern agricultural economics will eventually apply to cannabis and um, get ready. Um, the people who are in it for the long haul, um, people who want to grow plants for a living, and are used to these insanely high margins in cannabis, it behooves you to figure out ways to reduce those costs and um, grow at scale. And that's, that's what we're here for is to assist people and to learn ourselves in the process of um, taking it from a small scale to a large scale. And, and we have the genetics for that and we'll continue to improve them. And I, I, I just, I'm pretty excited about where it's going, honestly. And autoflowers, you know, are, they're they're not going to have that bad name anymore. P pretty much, the quality soon will be on par or good enough for most people. I mean, crossing it to that ruderalis, do you really? I mean, it really did kind of take away from from the photo period quality. Do you think? I mean, is, is that yeah, really it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, the the ruderalis. It's coming from 
like Siberia, right? It's coming from way up north. And the reason it has to flower in a short season is up there, the, the days are like 20 hours long. So you never go down to 12, 12, right? You never go down to where a, fo a photo period would just never flower there. And then by the time the, the days are switching, it's too late and it's freezing and everything's dead. So uh, the autoflower just grows, flowers, makes seed, the seeds falls, next season, here we go. And so it, you know, in its natural state, there's not these just chunky big flowers and people haven't been breeding with it for long enough to get it to the same place that full season genetics are, or people have been breeding with full season genetics for a lot longer. So, you know, what we're doing is just uh, slowly getting it there. It, it, like Joe said, it takes four or five generations to, um, to take an autoflower and then cross it with a full term and bring it all, bring those seeds, those generations all the way back to hundred percent auto. Uh, that's, that's years just to do one, do one time, you know? Uh, so it's a slow process. It's on the natural pace of the plant itself. Um, but we'll get there and it's, it's really fun and rewarding work along the way. Um, so have you seen like a naturally, uh, flowering autoflower in, in, I mean, have you been that far up to see it in nature? No, no, actually <laughs> no? that, that would be, that would be really fun. There's this one, um, random phenotype that, uh, is called the Grendel spoon that is just multiple branches with just tiny little calyxes all over it, up and down the plant. It, it looks like a bush, or if you're familiar with some common agricultural weeds, it looks a lot like lamb's quarter from, from afar. You think it's a lamb's quarter, which is actually a nat uh, naturalized quinoa. Um, so, you know, it, there's something there, but it, there's no like chunky flowers that you can smell. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And you've seen that in person? Yeah. Sometimes that just pops out in our fields because, you know, oh. in an acre, I'm, I'm putting 20,000 plants in an acre, right? So in those 20,000 plants, there's going to be a few random outliers that just are weird, look weird. And there's only in a few of the varieties do we see that Grendel spoon thing. So no cloning with autoflowers. <laughs> no, you, no, you can't do it. I know. I'm just, just throwing that out there. Yeah. Um, I've always been a seed guy anyway. Um, not very popular in the, the photo period uh, cannabis market. Um, lots of clone guys. Um, but I'm not big on taking in clones and I'm not, you know, the only clones I make would be for myself. Um, but I'm always been a seed guy. They're, they're way more robust. They're, uh, definitely more resistant to bugs and pathogens and stuff. They're, I think they're more vigorous. I've always been an early season sun grower just because of that, because I like to grow from seeds. Yeah. So, yeah. um, well, does the cannabis plant like to grow from seeds or does it clone itself? Right. You know? Right. Yeah, and, and absolutely. So, yeah. Let's, let's like force a plant to do something it doesn't want to do naturally. Um, what a lot of the approach that we take in the Western culture is, is sort of the commanding nature to do what we want it to do. Um, but the more that we can learn to work with what it already wants to do and then, um, collaborate with that, it's actually going to be more powerful and uh, more profitable than trying to command and control it. And I mean, cloning is, is an industry standard right now, but I think that's going to change 
because everything you just said about seeds is true. I mean, they're more vigorous. They have better disease resistance. They have a longer taproot. They, uh, it's what the plant already wants to do. It's less expensive. It's easier to produce. Um, like, wait, what's the benefit of the clone? So that the pound bag all looks like the exact same product yeah. when I open it. That yeah. That's the old school black market thing that the broker guy wants to look in a bag and he wants all those or she wants all those flowers to look exactly the same. By the time it hits a consumer, it's in a little eighth or it's ground up in a pre-roll thing or whatever. They're like, if a couple of flowers don't look the same, they don't care. What matters in the industry is these thresholds of potency and terpenes. And if the seeds cross or hit those thresholds and, um, and so distributors and processors don't have to deal with like, uh, some lots passing and some lots failing. Um, if the seeds hit those thresholds, then that's all that's going to matter. So the, you know, the seed is, the seed is the way. And, uh, also I've done my own cloning too. And, um, it has utility for breeding purposes with photo period. You can reverse one that you really like, make clones and then make seeds of it or make more clones or whatever that is. Um, so there, there is a utility for that. But as like the standard thing that growers use for large scale agriculture, forget it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just had a question I was going to ask you too. I, uh, what do you think about autos as, um, turning them into concentrates? What about that market where people are just yeah, growing? That's, yeah. That's Not, a huge part of it. Is yeah. It? Yeah. People okay. are just, yeah. People just pick it process, like run it through the bucking machine. So it can be processed, uh, in the sort of industrial model of agriculture. Like you've just sowing the seed out there, picking the plants, drying them really quickly, um, in a way that preserves the cannabinoids and then, um, just running it through bucking equipment or however people will figure out the most efficient way to do it eventually. Uh, right now there's a lot of different models, but we're getting, we're getting closer. And, uh, and then just extracting it. Yeah. The extraction is going to be an already is a huge portion of, of the market as well. Right. Right. Um, is there anything else we missed on the benefits of auto you can think of from your standpoint? Um, well, I mean, I'll just reiterate, you know, uh, no plastic pots besides the, the seedling tray unless you direct. So no plastic pots, no potting soil, no trellising, uh, no, uh, big leafing or cleaning up the lower canopy. Cause there is no lower canopy. Uh, you know, it's just grow the plant, harvest the plant, throw it into the trim room or the machine or wh however you sell it. And, um, it, it's it, a lot easier because of that. There's one more actually, now that I just said that, that, that just occurred to me Be because the autos are in the ground for less time. Um, now this isn't proven or anything yet, but we've seen in a few instances, soils that have been contaminated by certain pesticides that were used in the past that then pop in the material when the, when it gets tested by a lab, uh, and a California has really strict, uh, rules about w allowable levels of a bunch of different heavy metals and pesticide fungicides. So because the autoflower is in the ground for less time it accumulates fewer of those chemicals sometimes. And so it can help, um, alleviate, alleviate those compliance issues. Interesting. Interesting. Now does California test for mold? Do you know? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Do they? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Oregon doesn't. We test heavily for pesticides and heavy metals, and we test for uh, the moisture level of the cannabis, but we don't do mold, hmm. which I find very interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, we're like, yeah, you can that. smoke mold, but you know, not pesticides. I mean, maybe the moisture. <laughs> well, the the idea is that moisture content should indicate whether the cannabis would be able to mold in the first place. But the fact is, is that that's all based on cure. I mean, the cannabis could come in moldy already with the right moisture content. You know. Yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So so yeah, we do have a lot of what we call mold to gold here where people will take their moldy weed and the only reason it wouldn't pass is because people can see it, not people test it. And then they turn that moldy weed into concentrates because we don't test for mold. So the concentrates won't be tested for mold and it won't be shown. So, Mm. you know, and, and then extractors say, well, the mold, you know, it kills the mold off when you run it through a solvent and it's like, yeah, it kills the mold, but it doesn't kill the toxins. (laughs) Uh, interesting poison wow yeah poisons don't poisons don't die <laughs> you can't kill a poison yeah. No. <laughs> uh yeah you can kill the live you can kill the live spores of the mold but the mycotoxins that are left behind you're still smoking so it's a concern for our state but uh i don't know why they do that we used to test for mold and they quit doing that uh huh based on some farm feedback. So anyway, sidetrack. So, uh, well, thank you, sir. I appreciate this. Um, I really appreciate you talking about autoflower. Is there any recommendations you can give to people real quick before we go uh, in terms of like growing them? I know you said that transplanting is key. Um, you don't want to do that too much. Um, is there any other key factors you can let people know, even if it's a home grower? Right. Yeah, it basically, if it's ideal to put the seed directly where it will grow out its entire life. But if you're going to transplant, you need to transplant, um, you know, ideally Quick. less than f- 15 days from when you started the seed. Um, and then after that, just treat it like uh, you treat a normal cannabis grow, except uh, it's much shorter. So you, you know, you're, you're using uh, veg nutrients for the first 21 to 30 days and then you're using transition nutrients right away and then you're going heavy on um, bloom nutrients so the one thing we did learn is because of that shortened t- time you actually need to be using bloom or transition fertilizers almost from the very beginning so that they have sufficient reserves of potassium and phosphorus and other micronutrients and you're not trying to to um, get them in there later too late so if you want great yields and good looking flower use that bloom mix almost from the beginning and keep hitting them with nitrogen um, a little bit longer than you think as well. So you might turn a three part into a four part again, just to keep that nitrogen up, huh? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're, yeah. Okay. That's cool. Um, do you, do you recommend, um, like I know that you guys are geared for commercial and large farms and stuff, but do you recommend people trying auto flowers as a consumer thing? private oh absolutely yeah i mean yeah totally because yeah if you if you're interested in growing your own weed that you can take some uh you can put the plants out in your garden and you'll have your you'll have cannabis in july june or august and then your photo period will come in late so it's it's a way to get something fresh 
Because, I mean, that full season from the year before, by the time you get to July and, and June, I mean, people have done really intricate storage, and that's great. But there's nothing like, you know, fresh, sticky, gooey in, in July and, and August. So absolutely, and you don't have and to do any tarps or anything. Sure. And exactly, which goes back to labor and stuff. And then, uh, so, and, yeah. You know, I've been farming for um, 12 years. Uh, but that only means that I've done it 12 times, you know? Right. Yeah. I tell people that I'm like, yeah, I've been, you know, growing since, uh, the early two thousands, but that means I've only done it like maybe 15 times <laughs> or exactly. 20 times, yeah. yep. <laughs> especially outdoor. Cause I've never been big on indoors. So, right. all right, sir, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for the interview. Uh, you can go check out Atlas seeds, atlasseeds.com. Uh, you can find all your stuff there for the farms that are looking for autoflower and we appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, thank you. It's been a good talking to you. I'm Higher Peaks, and you've just listened to The Dirt Show. If you like this episode, please like, share, comment, and go to organrooted.com where you can subscribe to us on your favorite platform like iTunes, Pandora, or Spotify. Also check us out on our YouTube for videos and IG, Facebook, and Twitter for all our updates. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>